you had an interest in what is practical intelligence. Maybe we can unpack that a little bit more because that's not really something that I've even myself thought of. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a term that's probably more familiar back then than it is today. Right. So when you think of what's practical, obviously, to some extent, it's practical to have the discussion that we're having. Yeah, I, I guess like the most broad definition I can think of practical is kind of a synonym with beneficial. It's like to your, you know, it's causing good. It's, it's to your it's going to be to a, a good end or it's going to cause you benefit overall, right? So in many, it's, and you asked like, what is virtue? And it's like, what, what, what consists of virtue? I mean, practical, practicality and virtue can almost be synonymous then, couldn't they? Right. And a, a very broad definition of virtue could just be everything that is good or that causes good to happen, right? Right. That's one way to look at it. But that, then you still have to answer, well, what is, what is it that makes something good, right? It just right. brings a different question. Well, we, we, we kind of treaded a little bit of that ground in one of our previous episodes we on, did. on uh, what good versus evil. We came across an interesting thought experiment, and I do want to bring it back, of, of the, Yobian, the, the Jobian thought experiment, where sure. it's like if you were uh, the, the supreme intelligence of the universe and you were responsible for taking care of everything, mm -hmm. wouldn't it be your responsibility to make sure that all life encounters a certain amount of stress so that it does grow. Uh, assuming that the you know stress is necessary to cause growth, which I think we did talk about a little bit previously, right? Yeah. And, and, and on a smaller scale, maybe like as a parent allowing a child to, you know, go out and play and not, not protect overprotect them to the point. Mm -hmm. It's very practical to expose them to a certain degree of controlled hardship. Let's say you don't want them to, fall off the face of the earth, let's say. <laughs> right. And you also want them to be aware of kind of the consequences of their actions, right? You don't want to protect them from that. Um, because if you, if they, if they never sort of build that system of understanding, like what the consequences are for their actions, then it's going to sort of, they're not going to be a very healthy or very productive member of society with right. that attitude. I had no plan to go here, but are you familiar with South Park? I, I am. It's it's funny. I haven't seen very many episodes, and they've been very hit or miss for me. But there definitely are some really funny parts to South Park. Okay. Well, reference? you know, you, you know uh, Cartman and I, the relationship. I'm familiar with Cartman, yes. And the relationship that he has with his mother, somewhat, yeah. Uh, where she's like, "Oh, my poop poopsikin is just so perfect," and he's like, "Mom, get me meatloaf or whatever." Like, <laughs> he's basically a spoiled brat, and she yes. just bows down to his every needs, and right. he can do no wrong. It's so funny. I, I just thought of like he that that they were doing like a kind of a a, a commentary on what it's like to be an overprotective parent, or what mm. happens when you're an overprotective parent. You kind of create spoiled brats. It's not very practical to be protective of people to a certain extent. Yeah, great. That's the thing. Is like where do you draw the line there, though? <sighs> that's the that's the question. That's the question. And it's it's a question we're going to have to come up on too as a society because, like I'm saying, as we are. To, for all intents and purposes, like removing more and more of the stresses in life, we're going to start finding what are the stresses that we remove that were actually beneficial. Right. Like if you remove too much stress, does that actually stop becoming practical? Yeah. Hmm. So I guess a form of practical intelligence would be finding a way to make sure that you do have some element of stress in your life. That you're yeah. never completely stress-free, let's maybe, say. I think, yeah, maybe the most important practical knowledge is that of what well, I mean, just more more generically, like the discernment of what is beneficial to you versus what's harmful, mm -hmm. like and and not not from just like a purely like pain perspective, because that's obviously not that simplistic approach is not sufficiently calibrated to what's going to actually help you the most in the long term. 
Right. It's it's I not going to it's not going to take into account like the the situation we talked about before, where you need to sacrifice like the present pleasure in certain situations in order to achieve like future pleasures. Yeah, future pleasures are just future lack of pain, even. Yeah, or yeah, at best avoiding pain, or at, at at minimum avoiding pain. Right. <laughs> we are calibrated that way. Right. But we're we're kind of mostly calibrated to avoid um, sort of in the very near term, though. It's been only fairly recently, well, just in, you know, evolutionary timescales that humans are starting to understand how to calibrate our like pain responses for longer periods of time. Right. Right. And did you know that on a side note of, of planning for the future, did you know that cephalopods um, can actually delay gratification in the same way as the marshmallow test? Have you ever heard of the marshmallow test? No, tell me about it, please. Okay. So, um, there's a, it's a very good long-term predictor of success. Okay. If, and what you do is you take a kid and you put them in a room, put mm -hmm. a plate in front of them, give them a marshmallow. Okay. And you say, you can have this marshmallow now if you want it, mm -hmm. but if you can wait 15 minutes, you'll get two marshmallows. Mm, delayed gratification. Delayed gratifications. They were actually able to train invertebrates to do the same thing, mm. which is a form of self-control. Yes. So remember how we were talking about like rats having an uh, innate sense of justice when they're playing? Right, I remember that. It almost appears that virtue is something that life just understands in general. Hmm. And so would you say that, that that knowledge of or that ability to delay gratification is is that is that a form of um, practical, like, practical knowledge? I think it's a practical intelligence. Practical intelligence, yeah. So it, yeah, it's so interesting. So for those of you who need a refresher we were talking about the four platonic virtues that marcus aurelius tried to follow yeah and they were um, self-control um, practical intelligence courage and justice mm -hmm. it seems like practical intelligence i mean courage is practical justice is practical i mean all, there's nothing about virtue that is not practical right i don't want to say practical anymore because it's like a jinx but anyway um it's like a dragon shout. You can't use it too many times. You gotta, you gotta let the cooldown bar. <laughs> Sorry, nerd moment. That, is that a Skyrim reference? It is. Isn't it crazy that that video game's still relevant ten years later? Okay. Anyway, yeah. moving on. Um, but so it's like when you think about what is good, it could be what is practical. It's always what's in your best interest. Like it, there's nothing virtuous that's denigrating to so you. So let, let, let's let's think about that for a second here, because are they actually synonymous? Is everything? that's practical good and everything that's good practical or is there a distinction between the two mm, i think maybe you'd have to maybe i'll let me hypothesize a little bit here so when i think in terms of what's practical practical knowledge right so right. um you know let's use an extreme example so let's say you have the practical knowledge of like how to hurt people with your bare hands like say you're a black belt in like a martial art or okay. something like that like that's a practical intelligence and it's useful but if you don't know the correct circumstances in which to apply it, it can be impractical. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think there seems to be an essential nature of the practical knowledge, which is not just the it's it's not it's not just the skills you have, but it's also knowing when to apply them, right? Right. Like it's not just knowing how to play guitar solo, but knowing when to play guitar solo. Sean, <laughs> future self. <laughs> right. But, anyway. but yeah, I think that's, that's kind of an important distinction here, though, because practical knowledge, you could think of it as being sort of like book smart, but I think you also have to have that, I don't want to call it street smart, but that, like, that applied aspect of it. Right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because 
I went on a, a book buying spree at Barnes and Nobles and <laughs> Meditations was one of the books that I got. Uh-huh. I got so many other ones. I, I can't wait to share with, them with you off camera, but yeah. um, it, it, it was interesting how I was like, I did that in the wake of getting my um, inheritance, which was, like I said, it was kind of a hedge against the financial ruin that, or the stress of financial ruin that I feel like a lot of people feel. So Mm -hmm. I was trying to kind of create that stress. I'm like, okay, maybe if I read books, it'll be a knowledge, but it's like, unless I'm actually talking about what I'm reading, which is the whole point of this podcast, it's not really a good way of actually figuring out what is actually practical, Mm -hmm. what is actually helpful, what is useful. So I think that's why I started with this uh, book, meditations for this uh, new season. Yeah, so here's, here's another question for you about practical knowledge. Do you think it's possible to gain practical knowledge by purely like reading about it? Because to me, it seems like you'd have to apply it in some way in order for it to become practical. Well, you, had, you, you yourself had mentioned it's um, impractical not to encounter evil to some degree. Mm. Because if you don't encounter that pain, then you can't actually calibrate against it. Whereas if you're just reading about it, maybe you can imagine it. But the only way that you can actually imagine that is if you've encountered something analogous to that pain to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it's practical It's practical to experience some amount of pain, which is interesting because pain is kind of equ- equ- equitable with evil, I think, or equitable. Well, I think maybe, maybe unnecessary pain, but then mm-hmm. how do you define that, right? Right. Well, like if you're a kid and you get spanked by your dad, I mean, it's like that's you probably think of that evil, like, oh, my dad's beating me. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> But really, they're giving you a lesson. Mm. Like, like if you if you smear paint all over your parents' bedroom walls, then yeah, you're gonna get a beating, <laughs> and you'll learn not to do that ever again. Because but, okay, so here's a here's a question for you. But if you if you never learn your lesson, are, does that make you evil, or does that make them evil for continuing to punish you where you don't get a result? Uh, I think it would make the kid evil, or, or me evil. Yeah, I think. Or, so. or or both potentially, I guess. I I I mean that's a really interesting question, right? So it's like. You're asking someone who's really stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I don't always do what I know the right thing is, even though it's like I know what it is, which is so interesting, right? Because in, in the meditations book, they also say that nobody, well, no, it's a, it's, I think it's a Socratic paradox where nobody knowingly does anything evil. Hmm. Like no, no one like sets out to do anything that is like in their mind they label as evil. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think we, we talked about that a little bit in the good and evil episode. And I remember asking about like sin and can someone do something. But the thing is that you, you can do things that you kind of in your heart know are wrong though, right? Yeah, you have a gut feeling about it. Yeah. Uh. So it, it's a tough, it's a, yeah, it's tough to unpack that one. <sighs> yeah. Oh. Now, haven't we all kind of done things that we regret though? Like we like, and we knew it was wrong mm-hmm. to some degree. I mean, to varying degrees. Well, right? I think a lot, a lot of times what we do is we, we justify the action through like some other factor at play, right? We'll say that, oh, because, you know, I, I don't know but I really wanted this or because I think it will cause more good in like in the long run, like some sort of sacrificial approach that I think it's okay to like bend the rules a little bit here. Right. Right. But it never really works out that way. <laughs> Not usually. Because, I mean, if let's say you break the rules, whatever the rules might be, and it's like maybe you get away with it one time. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, what happens if other people start breaking the rules too? Mm. What happens if everyone starts breaking the rules? Like, like, okay. Well, then they're not the rules anymore, right? If no one's following them. Right. The rules are only useful so far as everyone has a social contract or agreement, social agreement to follow them. Right. It's like, I mean, think about the Ten Commandments. It's like if you if you started making exceptions for, like, murder, you know, if you started being like, oh, well, 
yeah, you killed them. That's not really murder. <laughs> you kind of, it's like, well, other people are going to be like, well, I did that. Why am I in jail for 20 years? You know, and then, and, and then it kind of creates this, I guess that's why. Well, but see, the, the thing is, we, we do have exceptions, though, because there are, there are other factors at play, moral, moral, sorry, ethically and morally speaking. You know, there's like self-defense, for example. We say yeah. when someone else is in the act of, like, you know, committing murder or, or at least attempting to kill you, you are justified in responding in a certain way. Right. So I think it's a little more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. It is, it, it, it could, it, yeah, it's, it is a little bit more complicated than that, but, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things. That, okay. I mean, I think honestly we, we could discuss morality for the like rest of time and never come to a, a like definitive conclusion on this. If we were honest with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard though. I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of a, I'm kind of hard on myself as a person. So as we're sitting talking about this, <laughs> I'm going through all the things in my head that it's like. <laughs> Uh, I probably shouldn't have done that or I could have done that better, you know. Well, isn't that hopefully part of the benefit of doing it philosophy is, though? You're 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 is, analyzing those thoughts in your head that you you're questioning things that you previously didn't question, right? Didn't question or at least it's calling to to light some things that maybe I swept under the rug. Yeah. You know, like uh I think I think what I really appreciate about you Wolf is like you 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 really wanted to kind of get this dialogue going to like kind of give a platform not just for for your voice but also the, to have the dialogue yeah you know because you understand the importance of having these ideas and it's like yeah it has given me a lot of positive things and it's it's so rare by the way to, to find someone else who wants to have that level of a dialogue so i appreciate the, the fact that we met and that we came to this sort of mutual agreement that we're in here yeah if i'm when i write my meditations book i'm going to write gratitude for wolf for showing me how to converse and showing me what it means to be a philosopher Actually, it, and be a great bass player too. <laughs> thank you for that. That actually reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you in the previous chapter, which is: Do you practice writing, um, like journaling yourself? And um, do you like? Do you mm -hmm. think it it helps you in any ways? Like similar to like writing just for yourself, the way that Marcus Aurelius did. Um, do you have experiences with that yourself? I I do actually, and I in sharing of my own experience, I sometimes have written with the intent of like somebody else reading it and mm -hmm. it doesn't come out the same as when I'm actually just explicitly saying this, these are, this is for my eyes only. Yeah. Cause I've, I've, I've had experience. I've, I've, unfortunately I've been very inconsistent. I haven't been able to keep doing it, but I have found that when I write anything and it includes like I've done blogging and other things, but journaling to me has a unique ability to improve my own writing in a way that other types of writing haven't seemed to be able to. Mm -hmm. Cause well, you're allowed to tap into your truth without any sort of judgment from others. Mm. It also, it also seems to help with my own creativity as far as writing goes. And I'm not sure why that is, or there's something special about it. Yeah. That you were talking about. Do you handwrite? Um, I, I actually, I, I did start doing that a little bit, um, fairly recently, but in the past, even writing electronically, which is what most of my journaling has been, even that's been helpful to me. Okay. I've, I've done that too. I do both. I, yeah. I, I do like a Google doc, but to answer your question, yeah, journaling is incredibly helpful. Actually, Jordan Peterson, again, <laughs> you guys were all rolling your eyes. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. He said, um, he has a self-authoring suite where you can actually write about past things that you didn't like about yourself or things that you didn't like about your past. Mm -hmm. And you can also write about what you want for your future. And um, he has a suggestion in his new book, which is out now, um, 12 More Rules for Life Beyond Order, which is if there's something that still causes you great pain and anxiety to think about, write about it. 
because mm. it gives you a way of creatively sort of dealing with the the elements of the past whether it be personalities or an event or what have you yeah it's like writing as a form of therapy yeah well young active imagination <laughs> that's part of what he it P peterson's basically kind of taken a book out of a leaf out of young's books to mm. say yes taking the mantle sort of yeah but wolf grateful to have this dialogue it's it's been of personal um benefit to me it's really helped me grow as a individual me as well so thank you man thanks later olympians later <laughs>